There's no sin that's too large to forgive and no sin that's too small to ignore. God's extravagant, messy grace floods in when we make room for it. But sometimes we don't. We get in the way of God's grace. Are you in the way? In this message, Dana Gresh takes us through the story of a man waiting by a pool of water who needed God's grace for healing. She uses the story to show us a few things we might be doing to get in the way of God's healing grace in our own lives. This message was delivered at Grace Prep, a new model in Christian education founded by her husband, Bob. 15 years ago, we started this school. Now, it kind of happened this way. I'm a teacher. What is a teacher? A teacher is someone who, I think, when they learn something, they have to tell everybody else what they learned. And that's kind of, I'm not like the most polished speaker. I'm not the most entertaining speaker. I'm not the best speaker by any means. But how many of you are like that? You're like, when you figure something out in your life, like it doesn't matter who you meet that day, you got to tell somebody what you figured out in your life. Anybody have that in you? Okay. I think that is God planting just a gift of teaching in you. It's not something you can be trained to do. You have to do it. And so one of the things that happened in my life was when I was about 15 years old, some events happened that just covered me in shame. And I really spent about 10 years of my life hiding all through my high school years, all through my college years, and through some of my first few adult years, I just spent my life hiding. And a lot of that was from anxiety. And I asked Robbie last week, what happened in Extreme Grace? What were some of the highlights? And he told me some of the really neat testimonies, and he told me some of the really neat moments you had with Jesus last week. And I said, what were some of the things the students were saying they were struggling with? And one of the big things he said was anxiety. Did you hear that last week? A lot of anxiety? Okay, like I could, I have written the book on how to suffer really badly with anxiety. That is something I did really well through my high school years, through my college years, through my early um, 20s. And I thought that I had really figured that one out. But last week proved to me that I have not figured that out. Because last week on Monday, I ended up in the ER with some problems. I injured my back four years ago. I really wish I could say I was like rock climbing or jumping out of a raft, whitewater rafting, but no, I was like lifting a duffel bag. And so I lifted this duffel bag. I was helping a friend move, and immediately I was on the ground, just flat, in the most excruciating pain of my life that I've never known before. And I had just like exploded a disc in my back. And since then, I have these little flare-ups. And I had this nice little flare-up last week, which was just lovely. And here's the thing. I could not move except that Bob lifted me and moved me. And all of a sudden, my friend, anxiety, that I didn't think was around for a really long time, came back for a visit thought I'd just check in and see how I was doing. So like I'm like laying in bed in the middle of the night and Bob turns the light off, right? He's like, you know, tucks me all in after the ER visit. You know, I'm all, I have morphine. It was wonderful. Morphine was such a good friend last week. And, and, and I have Oxycontin. I've got like it all, right? So I should be like chilled as out as they come. Bob turns the light off and I stinking freak out. I mean, freak out of freak outs. Now here's the thing. I can't move. I'm like flat in the bed, all toasty with my pillow, my comfy little fleece blanket, like, and I freak out. I'm like, Bob, I have to get up. I have to turn the light on, turn the light on. And Bob 
at one o'clock in the morning had to take the psychotic woman in, the, in his bed for a walk on the farm in the dark. Did we cover the fact that I can't walk? But the only way I was going to survive the night was if I walked. Did this make any sense at all? Does it make any sense as I'm telling it to you? No, I'm a fairly sane woman most of the time. But anxiety, how many of you know, anxiety will do one of two things. It will either put you in the fetal position, right? How many of you have been in the fetal position from anxiety? I'm just not going to try. It never works. I can't do it. I will fail. It always turns out bad. Fetal position. How many of you have experienced a little bit of that? At some level, some degree. Fetal position anxiety. Just me? Okay, thank you for leaving me up here all alone. Have we covered the fact that we are a transparent community? All right. Um, but the other thing it will do is it will put you in a frenetic position. Am I saying that right? Frenetic? Whereas you just turn into superwoman or superman, as the case may be. And you're like, I can do it. I can fix it. I can be it. I can attain it. I can achieve it, right? That's the other thing anxiety will do. It will turn you into one of these extreme polar opposites. How many of you have ever done that? Like, I, you are the perfectionist of all perfectionists. And you can show all the perfectionists how they are not perfectionists, right? You know what I'm saying? So I realize as I'm laying there that the way I have lived my anxiety out for the last, okay, let's be honest, 50 years, now that makes me really feel old, is through the frenetic anxiety. Like I get to control my life. I get to do everything I can to make my life look, but when you're like laying in bed and you can't get out, it's like, okay, Who's going to get me out of this fetal position? Because the way I respond to anxiety is by fixing everything. But what I really want to talk to you about isn't just the battle of anxiety. It's more about grace. It's more about the grace that we can experience when we have that place. Whether you're, you're in the fetal position or whether you're in the frenetic position with your anxiety or whatever other thing that, that, that comes to you, I want you to know this, that what is in you will come out of you when you are pressed. So even though I thought that my battle with anxiety was over, when I got pressed last week, it came out of me. Because what is in you will come out of you when you are pressed. It's like a sieve. Have you ever seen your mom use a sieve? Maybe she's made applesauce and she presses those hot apples through a sieve. And what comes out is this pure, wonderful applesauce. And if she's like my mom, she'll put copious amounts of sugar in it so that it's mostly sugar and a little apple. And it's the most delicious thing in the world. And what was in there is what has come out, right? Okay, what was in me last week when I was pressed was pure anxiety. I proved what was in me. And this is what I want to say to you. This year, whether you're here at Family Chapel because you're a Grace Prep student or a Grace Prep teacher or you're on the Born to be Brave team or you're on the True Girl team, whatever part of this ministry you are a part of, the next 12 months will press you. At some point, God is going to press you. And you know why he does that? Because there's stuff in you that he wants to come out of you because it doesn't belong there. But here's the thing, you get to choose when you are pressed and you see what comes out, when you are pressed and you get to see what comes out, you get to choose whether you're going to stay that way. I had a friend ask me a few weeks ago as I was talking to her about some of the stuff going on in my life, she goes, okay, I got a question for you. 
are you going to go through it or are you going to grow through it? And I was like, stink. Don't ask me things like that. I don't want to make the decision. I just want to complain and be anxious and go through it. But she was saying, okay, you have a choice. You can go through it or you can grow through it. So when math gets on your nerve, your very last one, and puts you either in the fetal position or the frenetic position, you get to choose when, when you get pressed and the stuff comes out of you, and it might be anxiety, it might be anger, it might be blaming. Boy, that's a really good one. It's the teacher's fault. Whatever comes out of you is going to be what was already in you. You're just proving what was there. And that's your opportunity to choose. Am I just going to go through this or am I going to grow through it? So what, with that question in my heart and in my mind, I thought about the word grace. And I was like, God, what kind of grace is here for me when I am getting pressed and the anxiety is, is just getting squeezed out? It's proving what's in me. What kind of grace is here for me? Because one of the things we like to do every month at our family chapel is talk about our core values here at Pure Freedom and Grace Prep. And one of them is grace. Our, our 40 points of grace, which is something that my husband Bob wrote as he was starting the school, says this, We believe that no sin is too large to forgive and that no sin is too small to ignore. We believe in extravagant grace and we have known its beauty we believe it's messy and wonderfully unjust. It gives us what we don't deserve. Grace is somebody bringing you flowers and another friend bringing you a homemade chicken pot pie after you've just act like a stinker all week long. That's grace. Grace shows up in little ways. Grace is your teacher sitting down with you and helping you through your homework when you haven't been handing it in because they're just going to be with you and do it. Grace is, you know what, sinning over and over and over again and coming to your pastor instead of getting discipline and ridicule and shame heaped on you, you get a hug and you get an I still believe in you. So I want you to know that today I'm standing here in a lot of grace because I haven't had a good week. I haven't had a good week. I've been sinful. I've been icky. I haven't opened my Bible a lot. The one thing I opened my Bible to look at was a passage that I think is just a story of grace in John 5. Would you open your Bibles to John 5? And we're going to look at something that God taught me. I, I want to share with you seven things that I learned in this story very, very briefly. And I'm going to share them to you in first person. That is, I'm going to say I and me instead of you. A lot of times when we hear messages, um, we hear, you need to do this, and you should do that, and God can do this for you. Well, I'm going to share these seven things in me and I, because I need these. I'm teaching myself this morning, but I hope you'll write these seven things down, and I hope that you'll see the connection to grace that I did as I was laying in my bed trying not to ask Bob to take me for a walk at 2 a.m. last night. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, your word has been alive and active in me as I've looked at these words this week. And it means a lot to, to me. They mean a lot to me. And they feel hopeful to me. And they feel true to me. Even though I'm not really living in the side of them that I want to. Lord, I feel like you're asking me to go and grow through these words. And I pray that you would, oh Holy Spirit, speak to the student in here who is just crippled with anxiety. 
Speak to the teacher in here who's busy with anxiety. Speak to the students and staff members and team members who have other issues that have them in the fetal position or in the frenetic position, Lord, because it's not just anxiety. There's so many things that put us there. Fear, anger, sin, addiction. Speak to us through these words, Lord. Your word is alive and active. I believe that. In your name I pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to read you the story of the paralytic who couldn't get up. Now, I wonder why I was thinking of that last week. Huh, I don't know. John 5, after there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofs colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. All right, these are the seven things the Lord spoke to me as I just meditated really only on this scripture all week long. The first one is this. My skepticism and shame cannot stop the grace of God from presenting itself to me. My skepticism and shame cannot stop the grace of God from presenting itself to me. And listen to me. Your skepticism and your shame cannot stop the grace of God from presenting itself to you. No matter what you think about God, whether he's real or he's not real, he's present in your life, he's not present in your life, he's active in other people's lives but not active in your life, your skepticism will not stop God from presenting to you. And one of the really cool things about this passage is there's been a lot of skepticism about this passage, whether it was even real. People who want to say that this book of the Bible is just stories there are even sometimes Christians who are like, you know what, these are just letters. They're not really God's word. They said for centuries, they said this story couldn't have been real because we can't find this pool. In our archaeological digs, it doesn't exist. And then in the 19th century, suddenly they found the pool of Bethesda. And guess what? Here's why they couldn't believe it. One is, why would they put a pool like this near a sheep gate? So the sheep gate would have been where they were going to bring the sheep to um, drink water, and they were dirty and filthy, right? And they, if, if you go to my farm and you see the animals, and they make the, the drinking water just filthy with all the mud that they get on their face, and they put their feet in there when they're hot, and it's filthy. And this pool would have been a Jewish ritual pool. They would have brought the people there to bathe them in cleansing ritual baths, and they had this religious tradition that when they were cleansed like that, then they were cleaner to go before God. And there were all kinds of ways that they would use those pools, like a bride before she was, was married had to go into the pool and be cleaned for her groom. Very um, legalistic. 
And, and so why would it be near the sheep gate? Because that would be a dirty place. So they believed it couldn't be there. And the other thing, there were like five sides. Have you ever seen a pool with five sides? Like all they had ever seen was pools with four sides. They didn't believe it could be real. So guess what? They find this, first of all, right next to the sheep gate, right where John said it was, they suddenly find a pool. And it's a mizpah. It's one of the cleansing baths. It's a Jewish ritual bath. And we're like, just right next to the sheep gate, right where John said it was hundreds of years ago. And then they're like, well, but it's going to only have four sides. But then they open it up, and this is the first time they'd ever seen this. The archaeological dig revealed that it had five sides. And I tried to figure that out to explain it to you today, but it involved math, and I always get stuck with math. But so go read about it. But the pool had five sides. And so they were like, here it is. And when I was reading that, I was like, wow, God, you know what? I feel a little skeptical. When I'm laying here in this bed and I can't get up, I feel like you can't come to me. When I'm laying here in this, in this class and I can't pass this test, I feel like you can't be big enough for me. When I'm showing up at these social activities and I don't feel like I fit in, I feel like you're not giving me the relationships I need. Like, your skepticism is not going to stop God. It's not going to stop God. I'm skeptical today as I come to you, but I believe it's not going to stop God. The second thing that I learned is this. Jesus is coming for the one among the multitude to give his grace. It says, in these, in this pool, in these colonnades, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Here's the thing. I am surrounded by people with anxiety who have never overcome it. I am surrounded by, by people who are overcome with shame who have never overcome it. And, and we congregate to each other. We find each other. We become multitudes. We create groups. We create self-help groups out of our brokenness and our issues. All the people with eating disorders get together over here and they bring their carrots for lunch. And, and all the people with addictions, they go over here on Tuesday nights and they have a conversation that's totally around their issue. Go on social media. Go on Twitter. We have hashtags for everything that ails us. We have hashtags that bring awareness and that say, I'm hurting in this way. Are you hurting too? Somebody else tell me that you're hurting too so that it validates that I'm hurting. There are a multitude of people that will never, ever, ever enter into God's grace. They will remain in a place of brokenness and unwholeness. And Jesus is, he's not afraid of that. He's coming just to you, just to you, just to the one. And he's saying, Andrew, you could be the one that takes my grace. Rebecca, you could be the one. Don, you could be the one. Listen, just because everyone around you is not whole does not mean that you cannot be whole. Just because everyone around me is not whole does not mean that I cannot be whole. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Yes, you are surrounded by a multitude who have the same issue, the same hurt, the same brokenness, the same awful story that you have. And you have to decide if you're going to stay in the multitude or you're going to come out and you're going to be the one. It's your choice. You get to choose. I get to choose. He's looking for the one. Number three. You're writing these down because, I don't know, maybe they're not good for you, but they were so good for me. Jesus will only dispense his grace if you want to be well. Listen to me on this one very clearly. Do you want to be well? 
Do you want to be well? Those are the words that Jesus came. Listen to me. Do you know how heartless that would have sounded that Jesus walked into a colonnade? He walked into this place where people are just laying there waiting that the water would stir. They're waiting that the water would stir because this miraculous thing happened. It wasn't just the Christians and the Jews that, that knew. It would have been the Jews at this time. It wasn't just them that knew that an angel would come and stir the water. There were pagans that would come and sit by that pool because something supernatural happened when the water moved. And the first one in the water would be healed. They wouldn't be one of the multitude anymore. They would be different. They would be changed. And Jesus walks into all of them, laying on their mats. They can't get up. They're panicking. They're saying, somebody help me. And he looks at this one, and he says, Andrew, do you want to be well? Do you know how heartless that would have been? Let me put this in perspective for you, okay? So let's say I go on Twitter today, and I find one of these hashtags that everybody's like, yeah, this is my problem too. And, and I get on there, and everybody's saying, oh, I love you, girl. You're so strong. You stay the way you are. I'm there with you. Me too. And what if I got on there and said, but Noah, don't stay that way. Why would you want to stay that way? If you're not happy, if you're depressed, if you're anxious and you're angry and you're hurt and you're lonely, why do you want to stay that way? That's what Jesus did. He walked into the multitude of brokenness and he said, do you want to be well? Do you understand how rude that would be if I did that on, on Twitter today? Do you understand how many people would hate me? How there would be hashtag I hate Dana 2 group all over the place. Listen, do you want to be well or do you want to be the multitude? You get to pick. I get to pick. Do you want to be well? So Jesus comes to the paralytic and says, do you want to be well? And he says, no one helps me. Ah! Okay, I want to talk to the healers in the room for just a minute. Whether you're a student or you're a teacher, whoever you are, let me tell you something. If somebody is sucking up your time that does not want to be well, and you tell them this is the next step you need to do to be well, and they stink and don't do it, stop wasting your time. Jesus didn't. If they didn't want to be well, he walked on. And you have my permission. You have Jesus' permission. That if you're working with someone and they're not applying the healing balm that you're giving them, go help somebody else. That might sound harsh, but you know what I want to do with my life? I, want to, I don't want to look at my life and say, yeah, I spent hours and days and months and years on that one and nothing happened. And I'm not going to give up on them when they say, hey, yes, wait, no, I don't want to be a part of the multitude anymore. I want to be well. I will wrestle with them through the night in their healing. But until they start to wrestle with you, let them alone. But listen, this is, this is for me. And it's for you, I have to stop blaming others. I have to stop blaming others who've hurt me. You have to stop blaming others who've hurt you. You have to take your eyes off your parents that hurt you. You have to take your eyes off that boyfriend that, that broke your heart, that girlfriend that was... You have to take your eyes off of your abuser. You have to take your eyes off of some pretty, some people that really do not deserve you to take their eyes off of them. Because what they did to you was wrong and hurtful and horrific. 
You've got to stop blaming them. Because listen to me, listen to me. What did Jesus say to, there was another woman who had an issue. And Jesus kind of asked her, did she want to be well? She was by a pool of water too, the woman at the well. And Jesus said, I am the living water. When Jesus shows up, you know what? The water is always moving. It's always moving for you. When Jesus shows up and says, do you want to be well? The water is moving. And it's moving towards you, and you don't even have to try to get up. You just have to say, yes, I want to be well. And you cannot do that if your eyes are on everybody that has always hurt you, and all you do is blame. It's not your teacher's fault. It's not your mom's fault. It's not your dad's fault. It's not that bad influence's fault. Own it. And say, yes, Lord, I want to be well. I want to be well. And then five, you have to do, I have to do what is not easy and is really not possible. I have to do what is not easy and what is really not possible. In verse eight, Jesus said, get up, take your mat and walk. Now that too would have been a little heartless, right? So the very thing the very thing that says, hey, I'm an invalid, right? The sign of his disability was his mat. I don't know what the sign of your disability is. Maybe it's your math grade. Maybe it's um, your English grade. Maybe it's your friendship roster. Maybe it's your followers on Snapchat. Maybe it's the number of soccer goals you have or have not scored this year. I don't know what it is, but Jesus says to the guy, hey, listen, that thing that you're sitting on that is the sign of your disability, I want you to pick it up and I want you to carry it. You know what I did? You know what put me in shame? Sexual sin put me in shame for 10 years. And what Jesus said to me is when he healed me, when he said, Dana, do you want to be well? Do you want to stop blaming everyone and everything? The water is moving. Step into it. Step out of the multitude, multitude of people who never overcome their sexual pain and addiction. Step out of the multitude. And, and then I want you to tell everyone, carry the story of your sin and your brokenness. That seemed impossible when he asked me to do it. But I've been doing it for 20 years. I've been carrying my mat. And I've been saying, look at this thing. I don't have to lay on it anymore. You do not have to lay on it anymore. You listen to me. You do not have to lay on it anymore. You can choose. The water is moving. And this is what happens when you choose that, when you make that mental choice. And listen to me, I didn't feel it every day. There were days when I chose my healing. The next day, Satan would come and say, no, get, lay back down. And I would say, no, 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 I'm picking this thing up. I'm picking this thing up. I am carrying this. Jesus told me I could. And I choose that. And I would pick it up day after day after day. You know what happened? I had access to Jesus that I never had before. 
There was a block before me in Jesus that I didn't have before. And it says in this story, in verse 14, Jesus comes and finds the man. Where does he find him? In the temple. This is a man who had been laying outside the temple for 30-some years, and he couldn't go into the temple. And suddenly, where's he has access he didn't have before. If you feel blocked, and you're like, I don't know. Are you there, God? I can't hear your voice. I don't know. Are you there, God? I don't see your healing. I don't know. Are you there, God? This relationship isn't okay, or that relationship isn't okay, or my brain's not okay, or my heart it's not okay or this anxiety thing it keeps me down or it makes me crazy Jesus says that if you will ask for the healing believe that he can give it to you that he'll give you access you didn't you will start to hear his voice you will go into a place of intimacy with him that you didn't know before that absolutely happened you know what happened to me when I was 25 years old after 10 years listen to me don't wait 10 years 15 year old I waited 10 years don't wait 10 years. 10 years into it, my husband and my mom were like, it's like you just came to know Jesus for the first time. Well, I had known Jesus since I was little itty bitty. I just hadn't chosen the healing. And now I was carrying my mat and showing the world that I had been healed. And this is, this is the one that some people, this last thing that Jesus said to me as I was reading this story, I have to stop sinning. I have to stop sinning. What does Jesus say to him? There he is in this sweet place of, of intimacy, this sweet place of access. He finally gets to go into the temple where he's never been before. You know, today as we worshiped and I heard those songs, they just wrapped around my heart and I felt so close to Jesus. I was like, oh, I miss you this week, Jesus. And he's in that place, right? And Jesus shows up where he is all like comfy and cozy in his spiritual, emotional blankets. And he looks at him and he goes, okay, I'm so glad you're feeling good. Stop sinning. Are we again noticing that Jesus isn't very politically correct? He's a little bit on the harsh side of life? Are we noticing this? Listen to me. As I watch this, you know, sometimes when we're blaming others, we're really mindful of their sin, what they did to us, all the while ignoring ours. And I read at the beginning this statement that Bob wrote 15 years ago. We believe that no sin is too large to forgive. And that's where we start blaming. We blame our abusers. We blame our parents because they were broken and they were in their own addiction and their own hurt. And we, we blame the craziness of their life. And we blame our teachers and we blame our friends for hurting us. And we see their big, big sins. But it says that we also believe that no sin is too small to ignore. And so I want to tell some of you today that you need to stop sinning in little ways. I'm little. See my quotation marks, my air quotes? Little ways. Self-pity is a sin. Bitterness, that is not having empathy for those who've sinned against you, that's a sin. Unforgiveness, that's a sin. Blaming others, that's a sin. Does that sound harsh? Oh, I'm in good company because Jesus walked into this guy who just gotten healed and just had legs for the first time is just in the presence of God for this first time. And he's like, you know, don't sin anymore. And we don't, we are really crazy right now. The, our world is like, hey, this might just be a book of fairy tales and stories. And then we dig in the archaeological world and we're like, oh, no, there is the sheep gate and there is the five-sided and there's evidence and evidence, but still we're skeptical and we don't believe. And so what, we're, what we have it down to is the red letters. That we, the red letters are good because it doesn't matter who you think Jesus is. He's either a good man or he's God, but he 
definitely not a bad person because even the things he said were just, this, do, you, do you see what color these words are that I just read to you? Hey, stop sitting. What, what, color, what color are those words? Red. Those are red words. Those are red letters, okay? So Jesus said those words, and he says them to you today. Stop sinning. Stop sinning. Stop with the blaming. Stop with the self-pity. Stop with the unforgiveness. Stop with the bitterness. Stop the little stuff. That's what Jesus was saying to me this week. He's Dana, you got, you got a whole bucket full of sin that you think isn't that big. But I'm telling you, if you want to be well and walk in your wellness, you got to stop the sin. This message was presented to the students of Grace Prep. If you have an issue of healing in your life, Dana has an entire podcast series available to help you practically step into the grace of God. The series is called Six Steps to Overcoming Negative Emotions. Find it on the podcast page at danagresh.com. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries.